You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Duke Long, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show, my friend. It's been a while. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. It has been a little bit of a while. I mean, we've all been kind of sitting around on the couches a little bit, but uh, it's nice to talk to you guys. I haven't talked to you guys in a little while. Well, we used to talk about every week, but it's been just a little bit of a while. So what's going on? What's happening with your big podcast here? Yeah, man, we're just trying to bring together the world of uh, thought leaders in the commercial real estate space. Obviously, you are uh, the godfather here, as it were. We've been having some awesome guests on here, whether they're customers of ours, other prop tech companies, brokers, people that are Kind of interested in the the intersection of tech and, and commercial real estate, and I know that's been a passion of yours for the past several years. Maybe for the benefit of our audience uh, who who don't know who Duke Long is, uh, a little bit of an introduction here. All right. Well, and I have been listening to your podcast, and you are getting on a, a very diverse, uh, you know, type of people on there, and it's also coming from someone who's a startup and a company, not just some dude like me who's out putting it out. <laughs> but how I kind of got started in this, you know, I'm still a broker still an owner and have my own thing and have for a long time. And a few years ago, for some reason, I kind of sat in between a certain generation of the tech people and the non-tech people. And I kind of got the tech stuff. And then in a weird way, somehow I started writing about it. That's when social media started to blow up a little bit. And I created my own website with my name. And because I was able to, without any kind of filter, I was able to kind of let loose and say whatever I wanted. And that seemed to resonate a little bit with some people uh, in a certain way. And once things started exploding and I put some lists out and, you know, LinkedIn got bigger and Twitter got bigger, you know, it's now expanded into this whole global prop tech thing. Uh, even back then, there wasn't a name for prop tech. There was CRE tech or it was this and that and the other. So probably in the last decade or so is when I kind of started this. The writing stuff was just a part and piece of it. But I was more interested in what types of innovation, what kinds of things could we do with commercial real estate, because it encompasses everything. And I thought there was a lot of opportunity there. And uh, 10 years later, I think I was right, maybe, since there are now billions and billions of dollars in this stuff. And I remember when somebody raised like 1.2 million, they're like, oh, my God, that's a lot of money. And it is a lot of money. But uh, now you've got what? People doing SPACs for $2.2 billion dollars. Yeah. Somebody can raise $400 million and it's nothing. So it's been a been a fascinating ride. And um, I just have kind of formed my opinions about it, put those things out there and just kind of, I don't know, just kind of immerse myself in the whole prop tech environment, global scene thing. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've been all over the planet because of it. And that's been kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. Well, um, the prop tech space owes you a debt of gratitude to bringing it to light and yeah, it is kind of crazy how over the last 10 years, the proliferation of prop tech companies and funding going into this space has just blown up. And obviously, we're a beneficiary of that. And hopefully, the industry is starting to notice that 
you know, there, there is opportunity for innovation and we'll follow suit, but um, this kind of leads you to what you're working on right now with reach. Talk a little bit about the affiliation with reach with NAR and, and, and how you got involved with that and what your mandate is. Yeah. Well, in, in a weird way, because I was a broker, I was involved in my local association and my state association. They just happened to be attached to NAR. And because of that, I got introduced to the people in NAR. And again, this was like a decade ago or even more. And just so and, just so everybody knows, NAR is the National Association okay. of Realtors. You're right. Sorry about that. National Association of Realtors, which people don't re, uh, relate to commercial real estate, which I think is ridiculous because it certainly is. But anyway, because of that, you know, you're involved in all these committees and all these things. And they they asked me to volunteer, which they do a lot. And they asked me to start helping around and mentoring some of the companies that they were putting in this REACH program. And that was the NAR's separate arm, apart from the NAR, that would go and invest in certain types of companies. One that a lot of people probably know uh, is DocuSign. They invested in DocuSign years and years ago. And obviously everybody knows that now. And DocuSign, ironically, was even in the legal space. So that's a really good example. So they were doing a lot of residential type things. And I told the people there, I said, look, that's great, but you know, I'm more commercial oriented. So they said, look, we really want to start doing commercial startups because it's a humongous market. And I do think the residential is a little bit ahead of us in certain ways. So when they said they wanted to do the commercial thing, I said, okay, I'm interested, but I'm only interested if you're going to be global. And they're like, well, we're definitely going to be global. So now here we sit with reach. They have offices in the Australia, UK, and Canada, of course, they have REACH in the US and we have REACH Core, which is the residential and we have REACH Commercial. And what we do is every year, we get literally hundreds, almost thousands of applications and we filter those out. And we usually pick eight or nine or 10 of the companies that we want to put through our scale up program. And we usually end up investing in those companies. And what I do for REACH is help them, A, find those companies, vet those companies, see and decide which ones would fit in our portfolio. And right now we have a portfolio of 140 plus companies and say, okay, this is how this works in commercial. This is what this does in commercial. And then my other part of what I do with reach is to mentor. And I don't know what term I want to use here, you know, be, be everything, you know, be the psychologist one day, be a cheerleader one day, be the finance person one day uh, for those companies in that specific class. And I, re I really do enjoy it because you get to meet some amazing, incredible teams and just go to the back to the point of when we were looking for the class of last year and I had met you and you and uh, Andrew what, way back when you were at VTS, right? Yep. Way back, back with VTS before it was VTS. And then Andrew said, look, I'm thinking about doing this thing uh, called Occupier. I remember going down, I don't know, I was on the train, I was in New York. I went all the way downtown because you... You guys are doing a WeWork way downtown. And I walked in there and sat down with Andrew and he said, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing Occupier. This is the model. This is how we're doing it. And it literally took him a minute and a half. And I was like, stop. I'm like, I totally get what this is. I said, I get it. So having said that, that was what, what almost a year and a half or two before you guys got even involved in reach. And you guys are getting it kind of going and you're getting some, some development things going. So you guys are a really good example of a company that for reach, even though you're at a certain stage, uh, we're stage agnostic. It doesn't matter where you are. What are what is this company doing? How are they what are they advocating? What is their product? How does it fit? How are they helping practitioners? And everything you were doing was kind of right there. So 
when I saw what was going on with Reach, I was like, look, we got to look at this company, got to look at that company. And we're thrilled that you guys are in there. And you're a classic example of a company that uh, SCV, Second Century Ventures and Reach should be helping. You know, it's, it's so different and so unique. And, and again, what your product is and how it works. And there's nobody kind of really where you're at, but there's some other companies that are kind of similar in that space and it just fit perfectly. So in about two minutes, that's kind of what Reach is. You know, we find companies like Occupier we look at them on the commercial side and go, wait a minute, that one. Yeah, I get this. Let's help this company. Let's help them grow. Let's find them money. Let's find them customers. Let's, whatever that is, again, let's let's see what we can do with that. So yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a good example of why having you on the bench there is so important because you understand the just innumerable nuances of the commercial side, right? Like where where we have a unique value proposition, the light bulb goes off in your head and you're like, yep, that's a big problem in this side of the industry. And whereas on the residential side, you alluded to them being further ahead. Did you mean in the sense of like innovation, in the sense of well, transparency of data, just yeah, willingness yeah. <laughs> of brokers on the residential side to adopt? Like what is- No, I, I want to say the adoption part. I think just because of the evolution and the incredible size of that marketplace, and the way that that system, that's a really good question, by the way, dude, you should do this for a living. So, you know, it's just the resi side is just so monstrous. You have the finance, you have the insurance, you have, you know, just the transactional stuff. So there were a lot of people throwing money at that because it was a pretty easy market to just see. Commercial is still, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. There are still some very traditional ways that are brokerages the thing are done. I'm not saying that's broken. But on the residential side, you could you can make a rocket mortgage. You could do certain things on transactional stuff, you could provide certain types of broker tools, but there are only so many broker tools. So they were always kind of ahead in that sense. We're now with commercial. I think we're there, but I think that they, they keep pushing out. What's the word I want to use? They're pushing more of the boundaries of the marketplace itself. Uh, what, what can be done in the marketplace? How can you buy houses? How many houses can you buy? And those kinds of things. I think on the commercial side, we're still doing transactional things somewhat traditionally. We are getting more automated. We're still doing asset management a certain way, you know, and that kind of thing. So in, in ways they are, as far as adoption, you know, I hear that, I've heard that for a decade. And, you know, I've, I'm gonna say this a thousand times. The only thing that a broker has to worry about uh, from a technology standpoint is the person next to them using technology to kick their behind. That's all they gotta worry about technology. Otherwise, you know, I don't see, I'm a very big advocate for brokers because I think they're the center of everything that makes money around commercial real estate. And they're the ones who create the deal. So I'm never going to be anti-broker in that sense, not just because I'm one, but um, I think on the residential side, they do a lot of different things on the brokerage model. They do things on uh, marketing and, and, you know, like uh, the lead funnel on finance, on workflow, so there are a lot of things to learn from there. I think we're getting there on the commercial side. Yeah, and I think one of the chief kind of different differences in those two markets is the end user, right? The end user in the residential side is the person who's living in their, in their home and the budget is much smaller, but the importance of that to them is, is, is just as big. Whereas on the, on the commercial side, the tenant who we focus on, that's a business, right? Their core their core business is selling something else, right? It's not real estate. So 
the reliance on the intermediary, like the broker or the sales agent or the, you know, the, the listing broker is huge, right? Because the businesses that, that we service, they're not experts in real estate. And so the, the industry has kind of grown up, at least on the tenant rep side, to enable the broker to be that strategic advisor. And technology should not disrupt them. It should just enable them to do more things in a better way so they could A, service more clients, B, get hired by more clients, and then just generally provide better decision-making for their, for their tenants. Yeah, and, and it's obvious, you know, it's on the residential side, it's, you know, it's the biggest purchase ever and all that, which is very true and wonderful. And let's say that that doesn't mean it's not an incredibly important thing. It is a business decision, but you may have somebody that comes to a, a tenant rep or a broker and say, look, we're going we're gonna to open up 20 stores. That's a whole different ballgame. That's a certain corporate level. Right. And one of my bigger things, you know, and I know tenant rep is, is just one piece of it, but, you know, what I, what I think I see now more on the commercial side with data and transparency and some other things that finally the tenant is maybe getting a little more of a look inside. And I'm not saying it wasn't that way before, but who was the advocate for the tenant before? It was basically, you come to the deal, here's our deal, here's our building, sign the papers, give us the money, we're done, right? How did they know if that was a good deal or not? What was the market saying? What was going on? You know, who was letting them know how to manage their, their side of it, which I think is what you guys are doing, right? Who was doing that before? And again, I'm not saying that some of these big brokerages weren't advocating for them, but where was that system set up other than maybe some spreadsheets and some PDFs and some people? And, and, and obviously at certain levels and institutional level, that's somebody's job to handle all that or people's jobs to do that. But now we have a certain level of software, software as a service and data and information that I think we haven't had in what, five years ago, maybe? At, yeah. at least five years, you know, it was there, but was it at the speed that we have it now? And then, you know, in the kind of environments that we have now. So who was doing that? I, you know, I don't think anybody was doing that. First of well, all, when I, had, when I had a little meeting with, with Andrew about the first thing he said, that's what he said. That's why I made him stop. I was like, okay, I get that, dude. I totally get it. Yeah, well, I think um, the broker was doing it, but they were doing it in such a manual format and trying to cobble together information for the tenant. And it almost forced the tenant rep into a position that, they had to be the gatekeeper of information and their, the time they spent getting their tenant client up to speed on the market, the process, all of the information that should just kind of be somewhat transparent and table stakes information was a big part of the job. And I think with the transparency of data coming, coming down the pipe and just proliferating now, the broker's job is going to be alleviated a little bit because they don't have to have the burden of being the arbiter of what's going on in the market. It's somewhat obvious, right? You can, anybody can find space. Anybody could find a comp, figure out like, you know, what a general estimate of a lease rate is for a certain neighborhood. Now it's the broker's job to manage the process more efficiently, understand the local market dynamics, who the landlords are, be more strategic about negotiating terms of a lease. So yeah, I mean, I think, there's, there's always going to be that role for the broker, but the, the tenant is now a little bit more up to speed when they go into the process rather than saying, hey, you know, what do I have to do here from start to finish? Yeah, and then, and then part of what I thought about, like with what you guys are doing is all of a sudden after that broker does that, but again, there's a lot of value there still, because if you're running ghost kitchens, the last thing you want to do is do all that. That's not your job. You want a broker to do all that for you. That's what they do all the time. But then after that deal's done, 
Is just, that just it? Who's helping them manage all that stuff? Who's, who's helping them define what their portfolios actually are? Okay, so I think there's more there other than just this certain deal where I'm going to go get two spots in Nashville. Okay, once I'm done, I'm done, right? Is that it? Is that all there is? So I didn't see anything going past that. You know, that's kind of where I think you guys jump in there a little bit. And then, then you guys got into the whole, and I want to talk about this a little bit, the FASBA stuff, which has been around since what, 2015 or 16, maybe when they were starting to talk about it. being talking a about it for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And, you know, that's the other thing. There's so much value in all those kinds of things. So to me, I was like, yeah, why aren't, you know, absolutely you should be doing that. And, and what does that mean again for that, that actual tenant to understand all the different parts and pieces of the marketplace, because then they have data and information about everyone's stuff. You know, I think that's a huge thing. So give me an idea of why, why you guys went from, again, the product that you have, which is great to kind of doing the FASMA thing. Why did you guys say, okay, this is where we want to go and this is why we're doing it? That's a great question. Um, when we left VTS, the, the initial idea of Occupier was just to provide a platform that allowed tenants to make better real estate decisions, kind of control their destiny from a real estate perspective. And, you know, as you know, the, the line item on the balance sheet for real estate is typically one of the top two expenses of a company. Yep. And our experience at VTS was that, look, all these owners are starting to aggregate all of their portfolio data, centralize all of their stakeholders workflow around one system. So they have full visibility into the pipeline, their existing tenants, being able to measure the effectiveness of their marketing efforts. It was all just like, wow, this is, this seems so obvious. Why didn't something like this exist? But that was only on the, on the landlord side. Right. And we, you know, we, given the background that Andrew and I had in the, in the brokerage space was like, there's a whole other side of the industry here that doesn't use good software like this. And, you know, when we surveyed the market, there was a point, there was a, the solution for this, there was a solution for that, whether it was workplace or facilities management or the lease accounting, but nothing existed out there that brought the entire lease life cycle into one place. So when we first got into it, it was around deal management because we knew that tenants out there were relying so heavily on these tenant rep brokers to manage a transaction process from planning through negotiation all the way through lease execution completely offline. And that was the first problem we tackled. And as you know, as we started getting more and more customers, we started getting into lease management because it was a natural extension that to your point, once you sign that lease, how do you make sure you're staying on top of all your obligations, critical dates, et cetera. And a lot of times the broker was chief in kind of making, making sure the tenant was covered on all that stuff. So that then naturally led us into the lease account and compliance space. And it, it allowed us to expand our market because the finance team, the real estate team, the external stakeholders like brokers and lawyers, they all should be working off the same set of data, right? You shouldn't have a spreadsheet tracking your deals, a lease administration system internally for the real estate team, and then spreadsheets or another system for the finance team to execute the book closing process for compliance with FASB and IFRS. So the, when we looked at it, we were like, whoa, there's a huge opportunity here to automate this entire process from start to finish. So as soon as a broker logs a deal in our system, it guides them through a transaction process all the way through lease execution. That data then gets aggregated into a lease administration database, which then automatically executes the lease accounting compliance. So 
what we do is basically eliminate disparate systems for everybody by centralizing all that data in one place. And what's awesome about the timing here is that these lease accounting standards are all basically going into effect by the end of this year. So you have a, millions of companies, hundreds of thousands of companies that are going to scramble to comply with these new standards for the next round of financial reporting. So for us, it just like was this obvious thing that we needed to build in the marketplace because we already had all the data in one place. You know, why not bring the finance team into the fold? So for us, it, it you know, it's a huge catalyst for growth right now because a lot of companies are trying to, you know, get up to speed on the standard at the same time as, as figure out how to execute it. Yeah, I mean, and again, obviously you're solving a problem. You're helping them with an issue that they have to act. They absolutely have to do. And it, it very much uh, defines their bottom line, right? It literally defines their bottom line. It's not the days of, well, I, I maybe I'm going to put this on our, 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 uh, our taxes or not put on it. You have to put it on there because it has a certain leasehold value. Um, and, you know, and, and again, from a real estate standpoint, if you're just X company and X company, you have a certain real estate parts and pieces of that, but you're, again, your focus is to do everything else, not just the real estate part. So I think it's fantastic. Um, what, what other types of things have you seen, or have you heard from, from the marketplace? When I say the marketplace, your customers, uh, along these lines that, uh, that your software is kind of helping them do. I mean, are there other things that kind of come up? They're like, wow, okay, I can do that. Or wait a minute, we can do this with that. And we didn't know we could. Um, what, what kinds of things have you been hearing lately? Yeah, I think like if you kind of broke it down in different verticals of customers that we have, we have, we have tenants and we have brokers, but we also have within that tenant customer base, we have retail companies, we have life science companies, we have office occupiers, and they all have different data inputs to help drive real estate decisions. So if you look at the retail space, for example, we get a lot of customer feedback asking for the ability to either handle or uh, integrate with data that helps them with their site selection, with their um, understanding of what markets to enter into, tracking sales and POS data so that they could say, look, if we were able to marry this information with our real estate planning, we could actually make way more accurate location decisions as a business. So um, on the office side, especially with return to work after COVID, we have a ton of tenants asking us about hybrid work functionality. How do we look at our real estate portfolio and track utilization? And how do we do that in a dynamic way so that we understand that, look, we're only going to ask employees to come into the office three days a week. Does that give us an opportunity to downsize our space? Do we actually have to take more space to accommodate, you know, for, for certain changes to the office layouts? Like, how do I track that within a system that also has my lease database in there? So there's a, there's a bunch of different extensions that could grow out of what we're doing right now as a foundational workflow tool. Because once you kind of start peeling back the onion on the office side, it's really about people. It's like, how do we make sure our people are the most productive and successful they are, they can be at our jobs at the same time as containing whatever real estate spend, you know, that we're budgeted. And on the retail side, it's like, how do we get more doors open, more people into our space? And real estate is a huge component of that. So when you think about what we're building, it's actually like an operational tool for a business to help them drive towards those broader business goals with real estate being kind of like the central component of what it does. Well, and you know, obviously the data thing, and we everybody's talked about data forever. I mean, when you have data and information, therefore you have actionable items, right? Or you have data that gives you information where you can make a decision. 
you know, and then where, where does that come from? Who's putting it in? How are you getting it? And again, if you're doing that for them, right? Look, we're doing it for you. Here it is. And it's almost to the point now where you're like, here's, here's exact kind of what I would say predicting, maybe predicting. This is probably what you could be and should be doing, right? That's what they want from you. Otherwise, they got to do it all themselves. And there's no value in that. And the market's like, all right, I don't need that. And I hear that from a lot of different companies, you know, especially on the side. And the biggest thing I've been hearing lately, you know, the flex space and the environment and that kind of thing we talked about. And I was in Midtown Manhattan about three or four weeks ago, and it was a ghost town still. Uh, the other biggest thing uh, has been tenant, like tenant experience, right? And you're talking about that, like, okay, what if we move here or if we go there or how many people or are they not or not? So is tenant experience, they're going to give us more coffee when we come in in the morning or whatever. There's a whole lot that goes around that. So what, again, what data and information are you providing so you can kind of make those decisions? You know, and I don't, I, I still think on the tenant side, if you're from the broker side or from the real estate side, how are you helping them at all? Other than asking them, you know, what kind of color do you want on the walls or something? So to me, I think in my mind, there's some kind of barrier there. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do they, do you think there's enough information or, or it's transparent enough for them to make quality decisions? Because I go back to a couple of events I went to a few years ago in New York where they were talking more about using that environment and that space as a recruiting tool, right? A retention tool. And obviously that's, that's more to the fore now. So are, are you, are you hearing more that do they feel like they're more empowered or is, is it more that there's more to, there's more time to go more data to go before they kind of get there? I don't think there's a lack of data. I just think there's a lack of connectivity of the data. When you talk about the category of tenant experience, at least in the modern sense from a software perspective, those are still landlord focused products, right? Tenant experience kind of was created as a way for landlords to say, how do we improve the tenant experience of the tenants in our building and retain our customers so they can pay us rent? On the, on the actual occupier side, the tenant side, it's more of like a workplace experience. Like what, like you said, how do we attract and retain employees, make sure they're productive, healthy and safe. And I think there's a ton of awesome technology out there that can surface the data to help drive those decisions, but it's all kind of point solution oriented right now. So I think there's going to be an opportunity for us to be able to actually start to aggregate that information so you can have those insights. So for example, you get a company like Density or Verge Sense or something like that who are tracking the literal physical movement of people within the space, the utilization of conference rooms. You know, how often are people actually badging in and out of the space so that we understand a utilization metric? If you could then integrate that utilization metric into a lease management portfolio management solution, then you could literally in real time say, okay, we're spending X amount of dollars in our London office, but it's only being utilized to 68%. Alert opportunity there to optimize your portfolio. So I think there's, I think the technology and the data is out there. It's just a matter of bringing it all together so that the business is empowered to in real time kind of adjust their, their portfolio planning. Yeah, and I've heard this a thousand times, you know, from all these startups years, you know, we're, we're going to be the platform. I said, nobody's going to be the platform. Nobody wants the platform. And there's going to be, everybody's got their own parts and pieces that they want to use, you know, and it's, it's just going to kind of be that way. And that may be, I mean, they're just, it's just literally endless, the types of information that I, I was looking at a company today, all they do is aggregate the data from the infrastructure part of the building itself and those, you know, which I think would be obvious, right? Well, then what do you do with that? 
are they going to be the only platform? To your point, like, no, wait a minute, we need to connect up with Occupier because this portfolio is looking at X, right? They may yeah. connect with somebody else on another piece and the same thing for you guys. So there can't be just one. Well, it's really tempting as a startup. It's it's tempting to tell the story that we're going to you know be everything to everybody and solve all these problems. But the reality is, you're, you're trying to build something quickly and and gain market validation. And if you don't focus on a certain persona or problem to be solved, then you're going to get pulled in too many directions. And you're, before you know it, you're actually not going to be growing. So a lot of these things are sequential. Like what's the order of operations for us? It's like, let's just like to, to the earliest part of this conversation, let's improve the workflow of the people in this side of the industry who are still doing things on, on paper and email. Yeah. And by, do, by doing that, you can structure your data. You can structure your workflow to be flexible, to handle the things that are most important to the customers as you evolve your product and your customer base. So yeah, you're right. I mean, some a lot of companies I work with, one of the things I tell them is, you know, there's a certain point of you got to say, okay, yeah, wow, we could do that. And it sparkles, but you know what? No, no, because somebody else is going to be doing that. Right. And you're right. Why don't, why don't we stay kind of right in here? That's the operational part. That's the processing part. That is something that somebody literally wants to wake up in the morning and look at their phone going, where are we at right here? You know, what is that? You know, that's, that's a lot of the other stuff you can certainly, you know, there's a lot of other parts and pieces to that. So I, I just find that it's just never ending and it's fascinating. So I should know this, Matt, but I kind of don't know this, but I do know this. So what are you guys kind of thinking about for the next six months or, or year? Kind of where you, where are you guys thinking about going? What, what, I know you're growing like crazy because I do know all that. You got, you've hired several people here a lot in the last few months and you're growing like crazy. So what's the next six months or year look like for you guys? Yeah, so we're we're going to continue to burn down our, our product roadmap as it relates to the existing products that we have. They can be made better. And, you know, we're, we're doing that in conjunction with our awesome customers who keep the feedback flowing. You know, as you guys are aware, we, we raised our, our seed round back in March. So that enabled us to start building out all the major kind of components departmentally within our business. So we brought on some awesome people that are going to help accelerate product development, accelerate pipeline growth from a sales perspective, you know, so we, we hope to sign up more customers, build more product, and then be in that position where we can start to look at, look, now we have this robust data set. We have all of these different use cases that we've identified, you know, how do we blow up this product roadmap to start to become a more essential tool for a business? And with that, hopefully comes another round of funding where we could really start to throw fuel on the fire and and look back at our, our experience in the REACH program as something that catalyzed that. Well, we'd like to think we, we were part of that, you know, other than writing fat checks, which I jokingly say, everybody calls me, what do you want from me other than a big fat check? But, you know, you guys went out and again, you did it the right way. You didn't go crazy. You didn't have crazy valuations and all this crazy stuff. And, you know, just build a nice quality business that the customers are like, wait a minute, this product, we want this. We need this. We're going to pay for this. Right. It, and that sounds simple, but you'd be amazed how many companies don't get there. And there's certain, obviously, metrics that you have to kind of get to be able to get that kind of money, right? And a certain level of growth. And it's just it's just the facts of part of it. Not a lot of companies get there. And I think you guys have got a hell of a chance. So I don't know. I, I'm thrilled that you guys are in the REACH program. We've been having a good time. 
Uh, I'll be honest with you. Everybody will say this. It kind of sucked because of COVID because we just kind of couldn't get out and do what yeah. we're really good at, man, which is hitting the streets and going to the conferences and all that. But it looks like we're going to be able to do that here pretty soon. So I'm looking forward to kind of seeing you guys what here in the next month or two, finally. Yeah, after, we're going to after all this stuff. We're going to get back out there on the road. Yeah, I, I think it was, you know, good and bad to be in the REACH program in 2020 because, you know, you, you just, you're sitting on Zoom call after Zoom call and you just get fatigued by it. But at the same time, you know, there's some weird, weird dynamic of being focused during that time because you, you didn't have to travel to an event and spend, yeah. you know, three days getting to Chicago and doing the thing. Going and to the hotel, back. getting to the airport. I mean, and look, yeah. Is there, can you replace it? Like, no, no. You, still, you still need to get out there and have that like human connection. So like, I'm, I'm excited to get back out on the road and see you and, and customers and, and get back in the circuit, you know? Yeah. Well, and it, like I said, I, we had no choice, right? We had no choice. So it kind of was what it was, but you guys were stellar, did everything, doing all, all the stuff The you know, but we're talking off the riff here a little bit, the, the, the investor update things you guys are doing. Literally, I told every company, I, I, I like redacted a bunch of your stuff. And I said, just do this, send me this. That's how good it was. I said, J and if you don't, you know, if you don't, then what, what do you, you know, so it, just simple things like that, that you guys do that people don't hear or see, you know, how you run your company and how you do it and how you touch all the people that are around within the ecosystem. You know, again, that's, that's why we love you guys. Cause you, you know, you do those things that are, that are necessary to be successful. You want to go well, raise guys, another X millions of dollars. Yeah. That's kind of how, that's how you do it. It's just that simple. This is exactly how you should do it. You know, you guys offer the the service. And if, if you're a startup and you're not taking advantage of that, then you're, you're not, do, you're not doing it right. That's I've actually had a lot of people ask me, should I apply to the reach program? And, you know, obviously, yes, you know, they'll give you money, they'll give you stuff, but it's only as good as the effort you put into it. You know, yeah. so Ashley and the whole like marketing channel with NAR and, and SIOR and CCIM, like, you know, if we if we didn't put the effort in to put together the content, to bring ideas to the table, to set up the webinars, then, you know, we would have just left that on the table. So it's only yeah. as good as, as the effort you put into it. Well, and it's a long-term thing. And what we figured out more and more is that it's a longer-term thing. It's a long-term thing. It's more about what you and I are going to be talking about a year from now, because we'll still be doing it, right? We might not talk to each other for three weeks and all of a sudden, hey, dude, here's X and that. You know, and we're finding that out more and more and more. And we hear that from all the others, from the other, uh, the other companies that have been through in the, in, in the past. And we've got some companies in the portfolio that, you know, have one IPO, that have done it, that got bought and all these things. So, you know, there's a lot of success metrics that are out there. You know, it just doesn't happen overnight. You keep reading that and all these things. Whoa, they went to a SPAC and did 2.2 2, 2 billion. What they don't say is it took them 15 years to get there, you know, or it took them 10 years to get there. You know, it never just happens overnight. So I don't know. There's a lot of positives out of it. I enjoy being in, I don't know what you call this little seat where I sit, where I get to see everything, talk to everybody. And again, you guys have helped so much with all the other companies, I said, look, get a hold of Matt, get a hold of Andrew. You guys are just boom, right on it every time. Being very, very transparent, very forthcoming. You know, that's the cool thing. You know, you're going to help and help. And it, you know, it'll come back. You know, it'll come back. You know, it always does. So couldn't be better. Well, look, that, that so much for the reach commercial right there. Dude. <laughs> that was a big reach commercial. 
Well, you know, I no, I'm just it just works and I kind of enjoy it. And everybody, again, with the NAR, you know, they are the NAR, but we're separate. We do our investment, we do our stuff. There's a lot of commercials still involved beyond that entity itself, and it's a great entity. Um, so we're just we're just fucking killing it, man. We're killing it. Well, Duke, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, always appreciate you cutting out some time to talk to us. Um, we'll see you out on the trail soon. How can people find you if, if they want, if they want to? Uh, I turned my website off so I don't get in trouble. You know, <laughs> it used to get me in trouble. So just Duke Long on Twitter, I guess, or, you know, you can email me Duke Long, Duke Long.com. But um, I'm not as much out there as I used to be, you know, uh, Matt, it's uh Heads down, focus. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm really focused and really busy. And uh, that stuff does take up some time. And I, when I was doing it, it was to build the tribe and the tribe's built. So it's time to get to work. So look, you guys are great. Thanks so much for having me on here. You have some great guests, uh, a lot of different uh, ideas and points of view. And I really appreciate it. All right, Duke. Till next time, buddy.